Welcome to the True Sight Podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen, and today we've got two guests joining us instead of the regular one. We have Dane and Flander, the general manager of the Golden Guardians, as well as Jonathan McDaniel, his assistant GM. Guys, Hello. welcome to the show. Glad to have you both here. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to Danan, who is American. Good to be here. Yeah. Happy, th- yeah. yeah. Happy Thursday to John, who is a Thank fellow you very Canadian. Much. <laughs> so we don't have you on here to talk about holidays, of course. We have you on here because uh, Golden Guardians have gone through a really big kind of rework and kind of rewrite of the team this off season. Um, and I'd love to kind of talk through that, talk about the the decision making that led to this this overhaul. Uh, you know, what your original plans might have been, why that might have changed, and, and, you know, how you feel about the players and the coaches that you're working with now. So, you know, I think the, the best place to start here is just to lead us through your offseason, because it, from the outside and from some reports that happened, it seems like it was a bit of a bumpy ride. So, Dana, if you wouldn't mind kind of like walking us through how the season ended, what you thought was going to happen, and, and how that might have changed. Yeah, for sure. So, for us, I think uh, the season ended pretty fantastically, I think, compared to where a lot of people thought we were going to be. I think internally this wasn't um, the biggest shock. It was it was pleasant for sure. I think being able to prove everybody wrong um, is always is always a, is always a boost. But when it comes to the standards we were setting and the players that we had, we already came into the year with a lot of optimism, saying that this is something we thought we could do. Um, and I think we we anticipated that we were going to make playoffs. I think that was always like a standard set that w- that we'd accepted. Um, I think the question for us was like. Yeah, we can probably win a playoff series this year. Um, you know, if we if we get placed against like FlyQuest for the seventh time in a row or something like we did, maybe we'll win that set. We didn't. Um, but funny enough, come summer, we end up getting our window against TSM. Um, we almost end up taking two series instead of just one. Uh, outside of that, obviously having to face Liquid, who obviously at the time was another really strong team for the region. Uh, for for us, for all intents and purposes, that's. That's a that's a victory for how we wanted to like build a foundation and get the players in the door that would help us attract some other like top tier talent. Uh, so then, as we entered the off season with that optimism, we said, okay, cool. Um, a lot of what we've done is correct, so that's like validating. We can build on that. Let's keep using that same decision making process and let's work our way towards looking at a championship because obviously that wasn't that wasn't the goal this year. As we worked into that, it became more and more clear that. Um, we had built uh, the foundation to attract top players. I think that was one of the biggest challenges I faced coming into Golden Gardens initially was uh, going from kind of like zero to you want to get to 100 as quickly as you can, as functionally as you can without it being super brittle. Um, and I, I think that was like our biggest challenge for the first two years was like, okay, how do we attract the licorices of the world? How do we attract these players that um, ha- are in high regard and it takes a lot to pull them away from teams like C9 and TSM and TL and even like CLG at the, you know, two years ago. So I think we'd done that. We'd, we'd built that platform. And so we entered the offseason saying, cool, with this foundation, we've got the magnets we need to pull players. Now it's just going to be about spend, right? It's going to be about like actually taking the shot. And we definitely went into the offseason with the anticipation that that's what we were going to do. Uh, I think we'd leveraged, um, leveraged our position pretty well for my first 24 months with Golden Guardians coming in, um, spending modestly, um, and ultimately being super fiscally responsible in a way that was like gonna gonna set us up to be able to take not just like a single swing. Um, I think, for example, t- some teams set themselves up for the like, short-term success like FlyQuest this year where they got their worlds run, which is great. Um, but it, there was a lot of instability on what that could be moving forward. 
for us, we didn't really have that question. Assuming we could spend, uh, we had players that we knew we were going to have for a while, and then it was just about bringing on that top talent to to complement them. Uh, so we went to do that. We were in the conversation for a whole bunch of these players. Like, if there's a player that you think um, for us was functionally an upgrade this into going into the off season, we absolutely had that conversation at every single layer, and. As we ended up actually starting to talk through it, everything still felt great. Everything was fine. Uh, we were proceeding through talking to buyouts and talking to when the free agent players um, were either getting permission or already had permission. Um, all those conversations were going really well. We were, I think, for all intents and purposes, poised to do exactly what we said we were going to do, which is take that foundation, attract those top players. Unfortunately, probably, and I think Hunter spoke on this a little bit publicly already, but probably at like the absolute unequivocal <laughs> most unfortunate moment that timing wise just like the there was like the slightest of desync um at a really really inopportune moment uh and that is that ended up basically putting a dagger in our uh pursuit of licorice right i think yeah, we so, for all so to be more specific there like yeah. so from the outside what it seems like is that kind of word came down from head office basically like hey you can't spend like did they come in and say like, "Here's a cap on your budget, and you can spend this much, and that's it"? Or how no. did that work out? So it's it's never it's never as like simple or straightforward as that. Like obviously things are always going to be a little bit more complicated. Like there's a lot of thought into all of the decision making. It's never just like kind of randomly okay, it's this. Yeah. Um, I think the timing of this was just super suspect because obviously the NBA is going through its decision making process at the time for what next year is going to be. And none of that was ironed out at the same time that the parent organization was also having a whole bunch of their own conversations. Um, we obviously are in a position where we just opened a venue last year. There's like a thousand little things happening all at once that ultimately just led to a, okay, this like one clear thing that we were going to try to do. The timing just isn't right anymore. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, which you know, it happens. That's that. That's going to be sports. That's not surprising. Uh, I think obviously the, what people really want to hear about is is kind of our, the rebound, like how we took that decision making. Um, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any outcome this offseason that would have just said, okay, cool, like we just do it anyways. I think that's just irresponsible of any team to consider doing. Um, so realistically, for us, what what became the focus point was like, what are we doing instead? What's like the next setup for the plan? And we can break that down if you want to. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to dive into that. And I think we'll probably spend the, the bulk of our time together speaking about that. But maybe before we move on entirely, you know, there there were reports out there. And I think you mentioned a minute ago that that you guys were, you know, looking at putting in a bid on, on licorice from Cloud9. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people can see why you would want to do that and, and why mm -hmm. you, you had a free agency opening a top lane. There was an actual position to be filled kind of thing. You're not like replacing a player you already had under contract. Uh, the other position where that was the case was support, where Huhu is becoming a free agent. Is that somewhere where you guys had been looking at, like you really wanted to re-sign Huhu, bring him back in? Were there other supports you were looking at? Like, how far was your plan at trying to load up for a championship really going to go? So I think we had a lot of optimism that bringing Jay back was going to make the most sense. So we actually weren't super stressed or pushed on that front. Um, we weren't in a position where we like we we needed felt like we needed to import, um, or if we felt like we needed to make a significant pivot. I think also the pivot options in North America aren't great. I think uh, showing with what we did with Jay also kind of examples why sticking with him would be would be cool. I think we obviously brought on a player who was ready for a role swap and brought him from relative obscurity, I would assume, in the bottom two or three of the LCS initially because he's obviously finding his footing and like learning how to lane with a new partner in the first place all the way up to being regarded as potentially a top three, top four support. 
And I think that's where we valued him uh, throughout the entire offseason. So as we were working to our way towards free agency, I think a lot of bringing him back wasn't like hinged on him versus another player. It was obviously about the overall plan. It was making sure we were aligned and able to strike. And we didn't want to put ourselves in a position where we were... Uh, effectively overpromising or over leveraging ourselves. So while we probably could have like signed an early who he extension in the off season, I think that wouldn't that would have been a disservice to our decision making process and ultimately uh, his options. Where if he's in a position where free agency is valuable to him, absolutely, I think that makes sense. And that's the conversation we were having a lot of the times where it was like, yeah, we could probably sign an extension right now, but functionally we probably shouldn't do that until we actually know what the entire plan is and a lot of our plan for this year of course was leveraged on those extensions that we were talking through with closer fbi and the guys we were bringing on so it was kind of like a step-by-step -step, like let's do this first this first this first uh bring back who he was obviously part of the plan it just wasn't like the first step for our offseason sure so you guys were putting this into this position where you're not going to be able to, you know, go out and, and kind of load up the way you're intending. All these other pieces of context come in. And so you make the choice to pivot into a rebuild. Um, John, do you think you could give us a little bit of an idea, like, why you would go full on, like, hey, we're going to wipe the entire thing out, like, sell off these players and start rather than retaining maybe not all three of the players you still had in contract, but a couple of them at least? Like, why, why reset fully rather than doing only, like, a partial reset? Yeah, so there's a lot of layers to this. Obviously, uh, the first one to get to is like the player happiness, right? Like if you have a bunch of guys that know they're top in their role, like they, they want to win, they want to push for those trophies, they want to push for high placements in domestic and worlds. Uh, they, they kind of want to have a, a group of people around them that can kind of facilitate that and that they can build that, that kind of initial goal. Uh, unfortunately, if you're going to be in a position where you're, you know, you're struggling from a budgetary perspective, you're not going to have access to all the top players who are potentially on the market for buyouts or lar want large contracts. Like you're not always going to have the money to make all of that work. So ultimately, like, you know, for us, like we're very transparent with the players and saying, you know, hey, like this is this is this, this is the spot we're in. Here's what we're going to try and do. But like we can't guarantee that this is going to work. And ultimately, in a lot of those scenarios, the players are going to say, like, I want to at least talk to other teams. I want to see what my other options are. And ultimately, that's kind of the path that led us down to the decision we made, as well as obviously the perspective of, you know, you can always field a roster of veterans that have been around for long and like long enough to kind of be able to find their footing pretty quickly on a new team and just, you know, aim for something. I want I don't want to say mediocrity per se, but something kind of just middling performance just to kind of stay afloat. And obviously that's not really a good long-term goal. If, if our initial perspective was we want to, we want to spend big now because we kind of had to build up to it. Well, if we can't spend big now, we need to start building up again for the next time that we can. And that typically means uh, taking some bets on some younger or newer players that we can kind of build up to get to that position that we were we felt that we would be in for this offseason. As we go into a rebuild year in general, what does that look like in, in the LCS? And, you know, given that fans might be familiar with what a rebuild looks like for a traditional sports franchise, say in, in the mm -hmm. NBA or whatever else, but how might that be different? How might it be similar when you're doing a rebuild or a reset in the LCS? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say for all intents and purposes, it's relatively similar. I think obviously, if you look at other five uh, five team member games, uh, it's going to be some like amalgamation of players. It's never like literally five rookies. Um, I think the thing that's interesting from our perspective is that a lot of it, at least in my opinion, is leveraged on your coaches. Um, the actual like specific player breakdown matters less and less as you have like a higher higher caliber set of coaches. And I think we're really geared up. We're expanding our coaching staff, which I think that'll go out soon, um, adding some guys. Um, and we were already so happy with the foundation we'd set this year with 
um, kind of what it, what is effectively our LCS Australian core, uh, where we have Nick, who obviously spent time in OS, but then we also brought on Spooks and Choo Choo's, um, which we call them Sam and Aaron. Those are um, LCS assistant coaches, effectively. And I think the the better coaches we have, the more confidence we have in bringing on more rookies at once. I think we were already, to be super clear, I think we were already rebuilding this year. Um, I think we obviously had moved on from contracts. We'd moved on from definitely. We moved on from a lot of these veterans. Uh, Froggen, obviously, Ole. Like uh, for all intents and purposes, this was a surprisingly young year. If you look back and you take away the the glamour, the excitement that was like closing FBI popping off the way they did. I think uh, closer and FBI were both pretty young. We were bringing on like Golden Glue and Demonte, who, um, in the grand scheme of things, are still relatively young. hadn't had a lot of experience, um, at least not formalized, in the same way that like players like obviously Doublelift and Bjergsen and Sneaky have. Um, and then simultaneously bringing on Huhi uh, in a role swap like that. That to me already is um, kind of a pseudo rebuild year. Um, I think. We just didn't know exactly. We had new coaches coming on. We didn't know how much we could reset. And obviously we ended up doing pretty well. And we ended up looking more like a competitive, like almost veteran level team, even though in my opinion, we were still young. I think the pivot that we've made now is that we're aggressing on that even more so and saying, look, we can bring on uh, three almost literal rookies who have zero uh, competitive LCS games. Um, or just like pro level games in general. And then the only the only experience we have is our bot lane where we have like um, Latin American all-star consistently in MVP as well as 6A who we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about Trevor here in a bit, but yeah. is kind of our the, the, the cornerstone of being able to build like that foundation. Sure. Yeah, and before we get into to talking specifically through like the players you, you picked up and how you selected them and all things, you know, I think I think it'd be really helpful for the listeners who maybe they aren't so familiar with the concept of a rebuild or how this plays out. Um, but just to get a, a better idea of like, and I think John, you were mentioning this a bit before. You know, how how does a rebuild allow you to set up for? You know, if you say this is not a year where we think we can win a championship, but how does how does a rebuild like this, bringing in these these rookies and so on, set you up in the future to to do that? What does that process look like? Yeah, so obviously for the most obvious one is taking a look at the FBI closer stuff. Um, obviously, we brought in players that were not really on a lot of people's radars. And ultimately, like we had good performances pretty quick out the gate, which kind of speeds up the process a little bit. Obviously, if you're doing it with younger players who maybe don't have experience because they're not playing in you know domestic leagues across the world, they're potentially playing in collegiate, as we have with two of our guys, or potentially amateur and below in, in other cases. Um, obviously, those players, you kind of need to Put a little more work in it at the beginning before you get those kind of explosive results on the other end. So if we, you know, if we make the right bets and everything pays off, then we can end up in a similar spot where we have those those kind of payoff moments where the young player that was maybe written off a year ago is potentially going to be kind of amongst the top of the competition in their role within the league. And at that point, that's when you start to be able to attract those top players from other teams. So you know, I guess correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the trajectory you might be looking at is. You play out the 2021 season. You have players who do kind of the FBI, who he closer thing, who came in without maybe being considered these really big pickups. But by the end of the year, they're, you know, landing on all pro teams or, you know, whether that's the first team or the third team, wherever it is, uh, you know, now they're really respected. And at that point, then you can either hold on to those players and sign more around them, whether you're loading mm -hmm. up with a really proven player like a Lickersham somewhere else. Or in some cases, you could also sell those players and make, make a return on them, right? Uh, when, 
when you're setting up for this and you bring in all these these players, do you look at both of those options with equal kind of value? Or, or I guess I assume you're kind of hoping that you can hold on to them and, and build <laughs> around them. But how much does the uh, the opportunity or the, the option to sell a player at the end of the year uh, weigh into it? So when it comes to weighing like retaining or selling a player, like weighing those options, they're, they're definitely never equal, I think. Uh, in most circumstances, there's like a pretty heavy preference on retaining the player. You've been investing, you've been invested in them already. Um, obviously, you already have a relationship with your staff. Like, there's a lot of things, net positives overall. That um, even when players don't work out entirely, there's just the inherent. Even you can even fall to some cost fallacy if you really want to point at things that could drive you that direction. Um, but I think for how to navigate that specifically, it's 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 it evolves constantly. I think through the offseason it's always going to be it's always going to be adjusted based on what other teams are doing. I think that there's like a lot of super clear off ramps for a player in a year where you're not going to do what they want to do, um which like we're super collaborative. So we hear and understand what our players want to do. We know their goals before they get here. We know their goals effectively on entry. We are aligning their goals while they're here. And then even on the way out the door, like those are still conversations we're having. Like, hey, the decision we've both agreed to, is that getting you closer to where you want to be? Assuming it is cool, yeah, we should execute on this. Um, I think for all intents and purposes, yeah, you, you, you want to be in a position where you can retain and build and keep doing things. But simultaneously, you have to be able to recognize um, your capacity, what you're going to be able to do. Um, weigh that against their goals and see if there's something like a relationship that stays manageable. And I think in our circumstance with the teams that we're trying to like swing and hit home runs right now um, and the players that we've built and the goals that they have on the timelines that they have them, that's where like as we continue to evolve and understand the process, it just became more and more clear that it was going to make sense to, to to make a trade. Sure. And I guess, you know, as, as a final angle on, on this overall you know, the concept of rebuilding all that, you know, mm-hmm. how long would you guys look at this and expect, you know, again, like looking back at the NBA example, uh, maybe you'd say, Hey, this is going to be a three year period of rebuilding. You know, we're going to, we're going to get a bunch of high draft picks and it's going to take a few years, but by three years from now, we're going to be back, you know, trying to, trying to win. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure in the LCS context, you're not looking at a three year rebuild, but what kind of time horizon, like, do you think that one year can be enough to turn this around and that, you know, 2021 being the rebuild year, 2022, you can be back for competing for a championship. Like, what kind of timeline would you guys put on that? Maybe, John, you can jump in on this one. Yeah, so it ultimately really depends on how things go. Like, obviously, you'll see in the publicly public-facing uh, contract database that a lot of our LCS guys, I think almost all of them, if not all of them, are on 2023 agreements. Uh, so that, for us, is a three-year commitment for which, us. Which and, is the, the maximum, I believe. Correct, that's the maximum. Rules. So obviously, for us, it's the time horizon is always going to be a little more condensed compared to other traditional sports leagues where you can go beyond that three-year limit. Um, but for us, that is kind of like the maximum amount of time that we can kind of assuredly have with these with these with this group of players. And uh, as far as moving forward in the time horizon that we're expecting, it really does depend on what happens, right? Like, if we kind of hit the ground running and we have a crazy spontaneous performance that defies all expectations again then, you know, obviously that accelerates things and we could potentially be having the conversations we were having this November come next November and be kind of looking to do that rebuild pretty quickly. Uh, obviously, our, that's not our expectation. It's a kind of a, a cool if it happens kind of scenario. Uh, the more realistic one is that we spend a lot of 2021 kind of building up this group of players, building up our coaching staff more and kind of getting everyone on the same page so that will come 2022, that's when we're starting to look to make kind of a, a more powerful impression and mark on the league. So that come the off season from after that 2022 season, we can then kind of have sure. this kind of 
window open up again. Yeah, so maybe it's a one-year rebuild, maybe it's a two-year. You kind of see how it how it plays out. Great. So I think this is the part that everybody's going to be a lot more excited about is jumping into the actual teams you guys have put together at LCS and also at the academy level. Uh, so I'd love to talk through kind of each of these players to whatever level of depth is appropriate. And I'm not sure which of you guys had a deeper hand in kind of identifying and picking them up or, you know, who else on your staff you want to credit with that. But we can just maybe run through the LCS roster. So we can maybe talk about the Niles and Iconic duo because they're both coming out of Maryville playing in collegiate together. So so tell me about these two guys. Tell me about, you know, we saw both of them at scouting grounds. Um, definitely heard Niles' name quite a bit over the past year if you have pay, been paying attention to the kind of the amateur and collegiate scene. What what is so exciting about this top jungle pairing that you're bringing in for LCS? So what's super cool about this is uh, I think a lot of people get hung up weirdly enough on either scouting grounds results or um, they try to point to the fact that these guys are coming directly from collegiate, spending the time at academy. Um, I think there's not consideration for the thoughtfulness on our end with respect to we've been paying attention to them for a while. Um, I think if there's a team that has... Um, ears on the ground, and John can attest this because this is what he does all day. Um, it, it's going to be us. These are these are not names that just like we pulled out of a hat because they happen to qualify for scouting grounds uh, in the last month. These are guys that I can remember having conversations about six months ago. Um, these are guys that in the middle of our year were being heavily considered for implementing on Academy because of the performances they were putting up and the presence they were showing in solo queue. Um, you know, they, they, they just check a lot of boxes for us for what we'd want to do. And I think even in circumstances where we aren't like outright fully rebuilding, um, they still had, they still had a lot of high priority. I think it's, it's just like a cool aside that they happen to play together, but there's not like a huge indicator where it's like, oh, um, Aiden, which is, which is Niles. Um, and then Ethan, which is iconic. Uh, there's not like a huge there's not a huge line drawn where it's like oh because they play together we have to keep them together and that's like our focus here as much as it is those are the two individual players we thought made the most sense for what we're trying to do uh and they just happen to both come from maryville which is cool <laughs> good on yeah Turkey. for sure uh john are you a little more hands-on involved with kind of scouting the players and, and picking kind of the the rookies you might want to go after or is it more balanced yeah, so I think for the LCS side of things, it's typically very collaborative between myself, Danan, and the coaching staff, specifically Nick. Um, a lot of us kind of, we, we kind of have a bunch of group chats all over the place on Discord, and we are always talking, especially once we hit off-season, like, what are our plans? Who do we have our eyes on? What are we going to do to kind of not just have, like, a general, like, this is the person we're paying attention to, but what tangible things are we going to do to get a kind of clear idea? Like, for, obviously, I think there was a patch recently that broke this functionality, but you used to be able to very easily watch uh, through op.gg, like, a live game. You would pick, pull up someone's name, it downloads a file, it kind of yeah. pops you right into a spectator game. Right, yeah. yeah, exactly. Off of live, like, you know, currently being played games. And that was a lot of what we did, is we would hop into their games all the time. We'd, you know, hop in, watch, see what, see what there is to see. As well as, uh, we also ran some trials uh, throughout, kind of, this offseason specifically, uh, before Scouting Grounds actually, which kind of gave us a very clear idea of who should be on our radar before Scouting Grounds even started, which funny enough is kind of why we kind of have the opinion that people should really not read too, too much into the Scouting Grounds results. Uh, our trials, we were, you know, mixing teams up very consistently. We were having them compete against our Academy roster from 2020 and kind of have that as our litmus test because we know what our 2020 Academy roster could do. So by you know, having them play against some of their counterparts in these in these tryouts across amateur, mm -hmm. collegiate, and a few other scenes, we're able to kind of get a good read on the relative level compared to something that we're expecting. I know a lot of people at home, when they watch Scouting Grounds or Collegiate, they 
they tend to see a lot of competition that's not super high level. And so they just assume that, you know, yeah, you cool, you popped off in a game in scouting grounds, but these are kind of pickup teams with a lot of young players. Like it doesn't really mean too much, but for us, like we kind of had a more a somewhat more controlled and stable environment to, to get this read. Uh, so to go back to your question, like this is something that like I obviously am definitely a part of, but it's also kind of a lot of the coaching staff stepping up and, and being very much a part of this process as well. Yeah. So, so what was it about, you know, did, were Niles and Iconic a couple of guys that jumped out to you from those trials or is it more from their collegial play? Like, what is it about these guys that, that really convinced you they were the ones to go after? Yeah. So for a lot of people, Niles, I think was on their radar very consistently, very standout performer in collegiate. And it's been very clear for a long time that, you know, once the next top laner falls out, the next person to slide back into the academy level competition at least should be Niles. Uh, for us, having done the trials that we did, we got to work with them a little bit on kind of like a one-on-one -on -one basis with our coaching staff, as well as seeing them in these kind of higher level uh, scrim kind of trial games. And through that, we were like increasingly confident the more that we saw of these guys that this is like, these are LCS capable players and all they need is to continue working with our staff and we can easily get them there. And Niles has the, the profile of a, a pretty standard like carry kind of top laner right is that more what you saw from him or is, is he do you see him more as a balanced kind of a player yeah so for for, for niles specifically um one thing that we saw that stood out very clearly was uh just high level communications skills okay. um obviously a lot of top laners even the carry types they're you know they're all keen to get the the early pressure in their lane and then just try and run away with the game but yeah uh, the way that niles played the game he was very keen to just communicate whatever the case may be. So if he's playing, he's playing a tank, or like there's you know opportunities on the other side of the map, he's more than happy to communicate his exact state of game and kind of get everyone on board to make sure that we're able to get a lead somewhere, whether that's through him or somewhere else. Like it was something that he was always able to do, like both sides of, and that's something that we we saw like a lot of potential in growing and nurturing. Sure. And and what about for iconic? What kind of a play style or what what kind of like profile of a player should we expect from him? Yeah, somewhat similar. I think a lot of the strength of why Maryville succeeded as much as they did is just a lot of good collaboration and, and communication skills across probably the entire roster, if I were to be honest. Uh, and I think Iconic does that really well. Him and Niles specifically work really well together, and their experience is going to help that kind of accelerate a little bit. Um, but for Iconic, especially with the staff that we have, we're very confident that uh, we, can, we can take the foundation that he's already gotten from the, the team play side and really enable a lot of the, the players that we feel can be future superstars in a Blaze Olive and Niles. Great. Okay. Well, why don't we switch a little bit, go to the other side of the map. I think Newbie is the other player that people are going to have a lot less familiarity with. Um, and, and Dana, maybe you can walk us through, you, you mentioned a little bit of kind of where he's coming from and, and what caught your attention about him, and maybe give us a little more detail on, on who is this player and how do you feel about him? Yeah, for sure. So Newbie is an interesting case. I think uh, you can liken him uh, pretty parallel in line with, with Closer, like our attraction, our interest, and kind of the pathway for it. I think... Um, again, like I've said, if, if there's an org that has their ear to the ground, that understands kind of the pulse of what's going on um, outside of NA, especially in the minor regions, it's going to be us. Um, through Nick, through John, through obviously our coaching staff, um, prior to his departure, he's now head coach for Dignitas, but uh, Jimmy, James Harrison. Um, he had a lot of history in, in, in Brazil, uh, in CBLOL. So I think like... The, the pathways for us are a lot more open-ended because we have this list of players that um, when it comes time and we think there's a slot for it, we can angle for it. I think like historically, um, importing support has been has been a struggle, right? Unless you literally have, what, Core, JJ, and Ignore, um, uh, importing has been kind of nightmarish for support in North America. Uh, we had the luxury of having an entirely domestic topside 
with two Americans and a Canadian now, uh, as well as the vast majority of our AD carry listings. Um, like as we were breaking through, breaking down everything, waiting for there was in case people didn't follow free agency, there was a huge AD carry shift where like six AD carries all changed teams all at once. Um, because of that, uh, I think we looked at it and said, okay, in almost all circumstances, we're going to be domestic. At that point, we have tons of import flexibility, and we said if we could be importing support, um, what would we do? Now, obviously, you can do, I don't know, I think, I don't know if it's, like, announced. Is it announced today? Like, is sort of actually coming to TSM? Yeah. I know that's been, like, the rumor. Yeah, but... it was announced this morning, so that's, that's yeah, official. So, well, so obviously pending right can... approval, they say. Yeah, when you're importing, you can you can obviously swing for the fences, and I think given the circumstances of their roster, like maybe it'll make sense. Um, but for us, I don't think we were in a position where you said like we're gonna go try to like do something crazy and bring some um, Korean support who doesn't necessarily have um, English proficiency into a roster with a bunch of young players. For us, we said um, we have space for experience if we want it, but we are really ready to develop if there's someone we think makes sense. Uh, and I think we landed somewhere kind of in the middle where another minor region player who has a lot of history there, a lot of experience, um, but hasn't made the leap to a major region, I think fits almost perfectly into not only our narrative, obviously, with these young guys and then ultimately having 6A, um, but the idea of how we want to be developing what we want to do. I think we have a perfect, perfect set of coaches to be able to work with a player like Newbie. Sure. And, and and John, can you give us a little bit of an idea of what kind of a player Newbie is? Like, is he a very lane-dominant support? Is he more of a roamer? Is he a playmaker? What... What kind of profile are we getting there? Yeah, definitely someone who's um, kind of willing to make his mark on the game pretty consistently. Um, for, for some kind of background, uh, a lot of the kind of end of split rewards and accolades that they give out in, in the Latin American League is very similar to how we do it. So there's, you know, your all pro team, your MVP, all that kind of stuff. And for both splits this year within their league, they basically picked the entire roster of, of, of the All Knights. And of that roster, they decided the MVP was Newbie. So definitely mm -hmm. someone who is making an impact on these games, even though he is playing on basically the first place all pro team in the league. They're very clearly the most dominant team. And of them, he is the most, you know, kind of key to their success. Okay, great. So two more players, and we've we've been mentioning their names, both of them. Uh, let's, let's talk about a Blaze Olive, because he's someone who has been kind of in that group of domestic mid laners, kind of trying to break through into LCS, uh, uh, seasoning himself in academy, that kind of thing, and obviously you already had him inside your org. Was how much of this decision to bring him up as the LCS starter was, uh, you know, he's the mid that we have in our org, and we, you know, we feel comfortable running with him versus, you know, we think he's the best mid in the academy and want to promote him, that kind of thing. Like, how does that balance out? Yeah, I'll, I'll actually, I'll actually do some exposing here on our thought process for for Nick for Olive. Um, funny enough, last year. Um, everyone knows, obviously, that we did kind of a, a last second. I, th I think Grace even spoke to this um, in, in his post. But we did a bit of a last second pivot towards DeMonte, towards Tanner, going into summer on like a pretty tight timeline, which was on Dignitas's end. I think they were navigating their like had three mid laners and figuring things out. Um, so for us, it was kind of like an oh, OK. But to be clear, before that happened, we actually had already been doing mid lane tryouts and were heavily considering, I think, in a lot of cases, leaning towards Olive getting his LCS start um, come summer. I think that was actually the intention. At a minimum, I think we would have seen him playing some games, um, not with a necessary guaranteed commitment uh, that Grayson was out or anything, but I think there was going to be a lot more flexibility and expectation that we are still building, we're still doing what we're doing, uh, but we need to explore and understand and having a player his caliber just sitting on academy doesn't do anyone justice. 
So I think going into summer, that was actually an intention we had until um, we kind of had that pivot towards towards Tanner. Uh, with that pressure no longer in position for us, I think the recognizing that we have room to develop and we have players that are really motivated and driven um, to work together on that type of front and with a lot of patience, we think. Uh, it makes absolute sense. Like, this is, this is Nick's window. This is exactly um, everything he's been building towards, like his goals, his timing. He's never been the guy that's like, I have to have LCS right now. He's always been um, when the time makes sense with the players that make sense. Um, I want to be able to make a mark. And I think I think we've checked all those boxes right now in a way that like the coaching staff is super excited about it. And obviously we know Nick is also is also pretty jazzed up. Yeah, what what kind of ceiling do you see from a player like 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 Nick, like a Blaze Olive? How how good do you think he can be, you know, given a year or given a couple of years in LCS? Yeah, so what's funny is we actually had, for example, Palafox last year. Um, before we had Olive. And from our internal, like, kind of like the meters that we we rank everybody and try to figure things out and how we navigate, um, we ended up in a position where we had to discuss uh, having something more immediate going into this year for mid lane for LCS. And so we actually gave up Palafox with the intention of bringing on someone with a little bit more experience to help stabilize and give closure and FBI the security and confidence that they had they didn't have any other rookies with them. No other guys that were jumping under the LCS stage for the first time like they both were. Um, and I think what's funny about that is we were actually only okay with that because we had high confidence we could go get Olive in return for Academy. I think we were like, okay, Palafox probably needs another year in Academy um, and we need an LCS mid laner now, so let's go after Grayson. And by extension, we'll grab a Blaze Olive um, who effectively is is our parallel, in our opinion, for what he does and what how much time he needs, maybe about a year. And I think we actually accelerated over that. Like I said, we were intending on putting a Blaze Olive in sooner. And uh, in retrospect now, it's, it's, it's lined up perfectly where we've given him that year that we thought we were going to need. And now he actually gets to on-ramp the way, the way he's supposed to. Great. Okay. And then the, the, the final piece of your LCS roster. So we talked about Niles and Iconic. We talked about Newbie, a Blaze Olive. And then you had kind of your veteran player coming in with Stixay in the bottom lane. And, and like you guys said, there was a really big shuffle of bot laners. I think there are a few players that, you know, that were in the LCS that aren't going to be in the LCS next year. Um, the sticks is when you're bringing over from CLG and obviously the entire CLG, CLG team had a, had a rough year in 2020. What is it about sticks say that you guys feel is the right fit to kind of be the veteran anchor on this roster and help these younger players uh, kind of grow into the, into their roles? Yeah. So Trevor, um, Trevor's interesting because, I think not, not only us, but I think teams in general across the LCS for a long time have actually I have actually eyed Trevor. I think um, obviously CLG has been was kind of a roller coaster for the last couple of years, um, but obviously prior to the roller coaster, they'd found a lot of success very consistently, and he was like a super stable part of that at all times. I don't think there was there was very few windows where um, he specifically like individually was underperforming um, or struggling in a way that was like, indicated that he was. Um, the weak point, I think they always just had like structural problems um, that they were facing that were like more and more clear to the league. Um, and I think I think what's funny is like we, we've we always uh, like not just Golden Guardians, but I think a lot of teams have always had the conversation that, you know, domestic AD carry tends to be more successful in North America. I think this year, again, uh, AD carry was like the least imported role um, for uh, for North America, at, at, at least going into Worlds. I think all three of our ADs were domestic. And I think that I think that really signals that player. He he was obviously just as competitive with these guys. I think if you look at Stixa, he's been around effectively as long as and had some of the same success that like Wild Turtle was having 
maybe not the same success, but obviously the same tenure as Double Lift, um, but obviously with a, gra- a, a, a drastically different set of teammates. Yeah. So I think for us, uh, we have to be able to, I think what we can do is we can uh, effectively disassociate his history with with only CLG, whereas some of these other guys like Turtle and, and Peter have had opportunities with other teams to show their excellence, even as recently as this last split. Um, and we think that breath of fresh air, if there's if there's a single veteran in the league that deserves like a breath of fresh air um, and, and another opportunity, in our opinion, it's Trevor. And, and John, can you give us a bit of an idea? Like how much would you pick a player like him based on his his in-game play versus his personality, his ability to be a mentor, his communication, things like that? Yeah, so especially for the kind of roster we're putting together, like you need to have people bought in. You can't just have, you know, your four young players who are like, yeah, like this is our time. We're going to get some experience. We're going to get better. Like this is going to be our improvement year. And then just throw in some experienced player to say like, you're the glue guy. Just don't end. Like that's that's obviously not going to work structurally, right? Like you need to have that person to say like, yes, I'm on a team full of young players. Like I, I know what that entails. I know what that means. And I know what, you know, that then asks of me. I need to be, you know, part of the system. I need to be someone who's kind of helping to guide things and, Yes, I need to be the glue guy in the sense that I need to be a stable performer the whole time and I need to be like a, a point of consistency on this team. But I also need to be doing what I can to grow my leadership skills in the same way that maybe they're developing some of their some of their in-game and you know more team-related skills. And I think it, it really is kind of like a multi-layered thing where you really need buy-in on all sides. Like the coaches, players, especially the veterans need to all be bought in. And I don't think many other ADs in the league would be kind of as amenable and as on board as Trevor would be for a team in a kind of a situation like this. Is that something you specifically approached him with and said, hey, here's the kind of project we're working on and we think you'd be a good fit as this kind of, uh, you know, th- this leadership role, this this teaching role? Is that something that you, you led with when you when you talked to him? Yeah, I can let Danon speak to that. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I, th- I think, like, pretty clearly uh, the timeline for which we were, we were uh, talking about Trevor was pretty clearly after we'd already traded FBI away. And in that circumstance, I think there were still... A- few pathways where we'd consider putting something together um that had more than like one or two veterans so it wasn't gonna like initially always gonna be that conversation but i think by the time that um clg was positioned to no longer have him starting which i think was pretty uh mid to late in this offseason in my opinion um i think by then it was pretty clear what we were doing i think that was understood um i think obviously we had to kind of disclose it because not everybody knew all of this information especially not all of the players um but he was yeah absolutely super amenable. He's he's one of the veterans that like I said he's that's one of the reasons we've always had an interest because we knew we've been rebuilding for two years now. We we've never been of the opinion even with our veteran year one roster it was kind of a rebuilding of assets less so than it was like an actual rebuilding of the talent. Um, and I think with respect to Trevor, the first initial conversation and and even the subsequent conversations, I, he never wavered. I I think there's a lot of veterans who say or articulate you know I'm, I'm i'm interested i'm open to the idea you know i want to build my leadership skills yeah i want to i want to like build more value outside of just how i play the game i want to be more for the organization and for the team um but i think he was the only one that was like super consistent in his messaging i think he's the guy that uh clearly understood um the scope of what we were doing and and the scope of what was happening with the league um and how that was like coming to a crossroads for his career too with clg and I think it was like super opportune and awesome that um, we were able to like get everything to to smoothly transition. When I think historically that's been that's been a blocker, right? I think teams have considered it. I think CLG's considered trading him away before. Um, but I think 
not enough boxes have been checked and not some people weren't motivated enough. And I think we were. Can you give just a little bit of information before we move on here? Uh, Sticks is still under contract with CLG. And, and did you like take on that contract? Did you buy him out and, and sign a new one? What's the situation with him and his, his contract with you guys? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I usually don't go too deep unless like the player or the organization has like gone out of their way, requested it, pushed on something. Um, I, I think it's 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 you know it's always a three party circumstance. Yeah. Um, in this case, I can confirm. Yeah, we we paid a we paid a buyout and we altered his contract. We we have effectively amended or in my in our case, I would say we overwrote. We'd like do a template system that's kind of different from some teams. Okay. Cool. So. Moving on to Academy then, because when you're looking at, you know, a rebuilding situation, of course, you're also looking at who is going to be at your next layer of, of your team and who's going to be trying to, you know, push these guys. And mm -hmm. if that goes really well, maybe they even try to take those spots away. So the Academy roster you guys landed with, uh, Tally, who was most recently playing mid at Worlds, but has role swapped back to his original top lane position. And then you have Rosethorn, Yunbi, Prismal, and Chime. Chime was in your organization before, but the rest of them are new to you guys. People might know Prismal uh, from playing in Academy with the 100 Thieves. Um, and then Rosethorn and Yunbi were both at Scouting Grounds and have been around a little bit in Amateur. So uh, walk us through the, the construction of, of this roster. I, I guess you'd look at Tally as being kind of the, the veteran glue guy in, in, in this layer of it, but who are the real standouts in Academy? What, what has you really excited? Yeah, so for me, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Obviously, this is a very different look to where we were last last season. We obviously changed out a bunch of players. We had a lot of expiring mm -hmm. contracts and a lot of, a lot of uh, kind of change-ups to be made. Uh, for me, this is kind of like starting from uh, kind of a full, fresh slate for the most part. Obviously, uh, in summer, we were very happy with Chime and his growth. Obviously, being remote for the split made it very tricky for him, and, and I think he was able to rise above that and really show that he has what it takes to get better and get to that LCS stage eventually. Just a matter of kind of the circumstances getting better so that he can kind of accelerate that growth. Um, for as far as the, this roster, the standout that I would say is definitely Prismal. He's a player that I've wanted to work with for a long time. And uh, I think, obviously, with his time on 100 Thieves, it seemed like that that wasn't really going to come to an end anytime soon. They were going to be kind of sticking together for a while. And ultimately, uh, for me, like being able to get this opportunity uh, to work with him, and not only that, but put him with a support that I'm very confident in the ability to grow, I think they mesh really well on like a personal level. They're both very big collaborative players that want to work with with whoever they're working with on the team and kind of build that synergy, grow and get on the same page and all, all that stuff that you want to hear. Uh, obviously, it's, it's all very much like tangible and something that they're going to be doing. Um, the other things I'm interested about is like some of our younger guys in Yun, uh, Yunbi and Rosethorn. Uh, Rosethorn is someone that we saw a lot of in our internal trials that I think this is where we kind of make the joke about, you know, try not to read too much into scouting grounds. Uh, Rosethorn was someone that we were very confident in from our kind of internal trial system that we did. He's someone who stood out very much, and he's someone that we feel like, with especially with the staff we have, that we can kind of push that uh, that kind of performance that we saw to the next level and kind of get him at the top of academy, you know, top of academy form at the very least within a split. And with Yunbi, he was obviously the most, in our opinion, the most standout mid at scouting grounds. Obviously, players like Copy had a lot of kind of backstory to them where they had played on 100 next and that was very like a visible thing for the average average kind of person and average fan uh, but for us UNB really came out of nowhere and being able to contend with that with the kind of personality and the attitude that he had was something that we saw as like a some, some kind of like a diamond in the rough a lot of potential to be had there and uh, something that we were more than happy to kind of pick up on uh, using our draft one of our draft picks and then obviously tally like you said very much like a veteran presence i know having spoken with him and kind of seen the overall kind of way that the OPL shook out this last year. I don't think mid lane was something that he had anticipated playing, but uh, I think he was more than happy to take the chance and 
play on a very a very strong and comp like competitive roster to kind of get that chance to go to worlds and get that experience and now that he's had that experience i think it's a really great time for him to come here play top lane like he kind of always really wanted to and do it in a in a system where we are going to be kind of helping build the other aspects of the game while he kind of refines his footing in the top lane and hopefully we can hit the ground running and have some uh, pretty competitive uh, games to watch for the fans yeah n now that tally has been to worlds he'll be hopefully going to academy worlds uh which <laughs> even <laughs> academy worlds is going to look a little different in 2021 we can talk a little bit about the format in a minute but um you know with with these five guys you know it, it's not the most important thing in academy to kind of win the uh win an academy championship stuff but it does help right it does help mm -hmm. with you can look at what cloud nine has achieved when they win these these uh academy titles and then I think that definitely helps with increasing the value of those players, whether they're going to promote them or sell them or whatever that's going to be. Uh, do you see this as a lineup that is going to be like competing for the very best in Academy? Or is, is how much is that a goal even? So for me, the goal that I would always set in, in the past with the, the old formats that we've had is I want to get my players to the best of fives. Like that's ultimately my goal is I want to get them tried and tested in what a playoff experience feels like, because that is the only time in the year in the Academy system where you're going to get that opportunity. Obviously, with this new this new amateur circuit and stuff, there's you know potential for more of those opportunities to be more accessible for academy players. So for yeah. me, obviously the the bar you know it, it lowers a little bit in the sense that that the thing that I wanted as a goal for my players is something that's going to be much more achievable. Um, but in the past, the reason why I really wanted that was you're not really going to get a high stress kind of high competition environment outside of those playoff games, and that is something I always wanted to get my players uh, some amount of experience in. Um, so going into this next year, obviously, I don't expect my team to always just be first, second all the time. Like, I just want to make sure that my guys are getting better. Like, ultimately, at the end of the day, that is what matters the most to me, uh, especially within my role. Uh, I want my players getting better at a rate that is kind of commensurate with where they're at in their career or better. So for the Blaze Olive, we knew he was going to be a top-tier academy mid, and we wanted to get him the last little bits he needed to be able to take that LCS starting spot somewhere. And obviously, we were happy that it could be with us. Uh, but for other players who are much younger, like I want to make sure that within you know the first split or so, we're able to lay, lay down like some really consistent fundamentals and get that player at the kind of mid to high tier of academy, so that they are someone who can kind of work with their peers and and be kind of valued within the space. And then once the time comes for them to make that leap, we can look to um, kind of get more exposure through winning, coming closer to winning, getting top two stuff like that, like mm -hmm. we had done in the uh, not this 2020 season, but in 2019 summer. That's something that we very much had kind of like in our future obviously fell a little short short uh, to 100 thieves there but you know that visibility is ultimately what really lets players make the jump in a lot of cases and that's something that c9's really benefited from but i will say like you know for the people that are truly paying attention to these academy leagues you know we all kind of see who the standout performers are it just kind of gives that extra little nudge of visibility to get the public to say like hey you know you should get that one person like i saw them winning academy and that was pretty sweet and that really kind of helps in a lot of players cases to kind of you know spark that flame and really get things going yeah, for sure. And for people who want to get deeper thoughts on the changes to the Academy and Amateur format for 2021, actually, uh, John, you called into my stream a couple of weeks ago, um, and we, we talked a lot about that format and what the implications are. Um, so you can find that on uh, on the YouTube channel. I'll make sure a link to that is in the show notes. Uh, but, you know, I, I think one of the really big benefits of that of that format change is, like you're saying, a lot more tournament structure to it which means a lot more best of five opportunities a lot more uh chances to play these kind of high uh high stress games relatively speaking um being able to play in series play which is so important and, and that kind of thing did that format change uh and assuming that you guys had a little more lead time on knowing that something like that was coming down the pipe um did that format change 
affect the way you would build an academy team, or is that something that you probably would have gone with these players anyways? Uh, so given the circumstances, I think I definitely probably would have made these changes. Uh, I think the the one thing I will say, kind of retroing a little bit on the stuff we've said before about um, kind of the trials we've been running, obviously a lot of the plans there was to have those tryouts be for a third team as well in the amateur circuit. That's something that we really wanted to be participating in. Obviously, I kind of spoke to my kind of displeasure with how things ended up on the on the rule side to say, like, you know, we weren't ultimately able to compete in that for a host of different reasons. Um, but obviously, with that, we could then say those players that we had our eyes on for amateur, we're going to kind of continue to keep our eyes on them throughout the 2021 season, and this, especially with this new format. And for us in Academy, we're going to be picking up players that are kind of from that pool of upper amateur players and say, like, you know what, we've, we've got a spot for you here. Come take your chance. We'll try and put in as much effort as we can. You do the same, and you know, let's see, let's see where we can take your career at that point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, in the interest of time, we'll move forward a little bit because I'd love to talk a bit about you, the your, your organization's plan for kind of coaching and player development and the staff you brought in on that front. Because if you are going to be kind of trying to develop players longer, you need a bit of a different profile to your coaching staff compared to a team that is out trying to win LCS right now, right? You, you've probably got a little bit of a different goal there. So tell me about your 2021 coaching staff. You know, I think it's mostly the same as what you had, but you made a couple of changes there. Uh, Danny, if you want to maybe walk us through any changes you've made to to the coaches you brought in and, and, and what makes you confident that they're the right fit for what you guys are trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, I'll only speak briefly on the LCS. One, for, for two reasons. One, um, we just announced a departure. Um, we haven't announced a replacement. Um, we have someone, like, making a transition. We have a coach that we're, like, expanding our LCS staff with. Um, there's a couple different things happening, but none of it's like announced or confirmed, so I can't dive too deep into it. Sure. But what I can say confidently is that our core is back. We have an arrow, we have choo choos, we have spooks. Um, I would say that's obviously what our foundation going into the offseason was expected to be um, in almost all circumstances, no matter what. It was our intention to retain them. Um, we've actually signed extensions with all three um, to the maximum of three years. Uh, and we're we're pretty happy. We're really poised, I think, to to be um, super confident and super thrilled about being able to keep working with those guys and keep seeing them develop. I think what's been so insanely awesome is that uh, they didn't have a ton of experience. They didn't have a ton of history. Obviously, an arrow had a little bit bouncing around kind of the globe. Um, but in the grand scheme of our coaching staff, we were surprisingly youthful um, and uh, very high caliber, like a lot of former players, a lot of people who... Um, are still respected to this day even by um, their peers, the by the players in their space. Um, for their play, they're still super competitive. Um, what's actually a really interesting point to, to make is that I think now, funny enough, Enero might be the longest standing head coach in the league. You might have to correct me on it, but I think effectively every single organization, every single LCS organization yeah. had a head coach change in the last 12 months except effectively us yeah um, i can't think of anyone else yeah i think uh i think obviously nick for his first year with with golden guardians um stepped into academy for a while um but i think ever since he's come back up it's been it's been pretty fantastic and i think that speaks to the stability and confidence we have in our coaching staff relative to i think a lot of other teams who in my opinion something that's that's gone unnoticed has been uh, the the great coaching shift the some some form of exodus effectively where teams all ran out of patience for their head coaches uh kind of all at the same time this offseason except for us and i think that speaks volumes to how much we value nick um and how much confidence we have in his ability to do his job and 
because of that, I think that's why you're going to be seeing the expansion stuff that we're going to announce soon. Um, I'll kick this over to John. I think he's in a similar position where I don't know if we've entirely announced uh, the structural changes for coaching um, overall that like also are enacted a little bit in Academy, but he can at least, we've at least revealed his head coach. <laughs> yeah, so I can, I can speak to a little bit to um, kind of the changes we're making in Academy. Obviously, more announcements to come on staff, but what I will say is uh, Koops is someone that we've obviously known for a long time. Both me and Dan do have past experience with him on other teams, and I think that's something that people were very quick to notice. Um, but what's, what's something I do want to point out is obviously we've had a lot of opportunity to work with him in the past and we've kind of elected not to on multiple occasions. And at this point with the kind of experience that he's put together and the kind of teams that he's been working with in the past, I know a lot of people say, you know, working in Academy is not all that great, but I think given his tenure with Optic and then IMT, uh, we definitely saw a lot of players moving up from his system into LCS and people hyping up those players. And I think ultimately uh, there is a lot of credit to be made giving him credit for the, for those kind of transitions that his players did make. Um, obviously, for, for me and my perspective, uh, with the players that we have, I want someone who is very confident in leading a system and being able to kind of not necessarily be like an authoritarian coach, but someone who is very confident in working through a system that they have and kind of putting all those players through and ideally working with you know the rest of the staff to build kind of a more unified idea of like, what are we teaching players? How are we teaching players? And getting everyone at the same, that's all levels kind of align in that way. And uh, someone, you know, for Koops, that's something that we feel like he can very much do and bring to the table up above other candidates in the position. I know a lot of people are very quick to dismiss him given some of the past that he's had on other teams and, you know, his, his career being what it is. But I think with all the things he's learned and all the things that he's going to continue to learn that, you know, Golden Gardens is a place that Koops can really kind of flourish and grow and develop a lot of the skills he's already kind of shown on other teams in his time there. Yeah, and, and for those who aren't so familiar with, familiar with Koobs, who who is uh, going to be head coaching your academy team, like he's been around in the scene for a long time, six seven years at least at this point, right? Um, and he's coached in and in, in academy as you mentioned with with Optic and, and Immortals. Uh, he's also coached in Europe, right? And and he's promoted teams from uh, into the LCS. He's promoted a team into the LEC. He coached with Giants in the LEC, right? Uh, how much of it, you know, how much of his his past rather coaching at both the academy level. Um, or kind of the European equivalent of academy level versus, uh, you know, also coaching at, at the LEC level. Um, I, I believe it was. And Giants were in the LEC when he was with them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, his his experience coaching at both of those levels, is that something that played into kind of your, your decision to bring him in? Is it purely about his ability to teach younger players? You know, what what is it about his kind of coaching style or experience um, that that led you to that choice? Yeah, for me, it's something that is kind of like a mixture of the two, but more definitely leaning towards the development side. Obviously, being able to take players that, um, you know, maybe are a little undervalued in the system and having success with those players in spite of it, especially to the point of promotion back in that old promotion relegation system is something that's very commendable on a coach. Um, Obviously, a lot of the players speak very highly of him after that, after the fact of those promotions and those times that he spent with them. And for me, that's something that I put a lot of value in. And especially in his time at Optic and IMT, like obviously a lot of people were very excited to see players like Insanity come up through his system. But obviously, you know, the players have to be putting in the effort in the same way that the coaches need to. And on the other side, I definitely want to see more kind of credit being given to these academy coaches at all levels, not just within our team, but at all these different teams. I know there's been a ton of a ton of credit given to, like, for example, Kelsey Moser, who's, you know, had a great time building up multiple systems of development within 100 Thieves. And I'd like to see that kind of credit being extended to other teams and without, you know, throughout the league that maybe don't necessarily have that kind of public flair that the 100 Thieves Next system kind of had this year. 
And ultimately, I think that's something that I want to see for Coops as well. Yeah, I think it's hard enough to find really good coaches at the LCS level. And I'd say it's that much harder to find good coaches who can be in the academy level and be developing these players and teaching where arguably it's even more important to have really strong coaches at academy if you want to develop these players up, right? Whereas at the LCS level, I think you you need a little more facilitation. You need a little more kind of, um, you know, helping to unify the way your team communicates. But the players themselves should probably in a relative uh, sense, be leading a little more of, of how they play compared to the academy players. So, uh, you know, hoping for your sake that, that Coops works out really well in that role and that uh, these players you're, you're uh, going to be developing um, will really pan out for you guys. So to kind of wrap up all this conversation, we've talked about kind of what a rebuild means to you guys. We talked about the players you brought in and, and some of the staff that you've got working with them. Over the next 12 months, Danon, what would success look like for you guys? How would you, what would you look like, look at at the end of these 12 months and say, yeah, all of this worked kind of the way we were hoping it would? But does that look like a certain number of players you know, retained and competing at a certain level? Does it look like, um, you know, what, what does that mean for your competitive accomplishments? How would you define that success? So I'll speak to, to speak on that on two angles. I'll say what I think the public expects. Uh, the public always expects too much and they're absolutely ridiculous in their standards and they think everybody must always be winning and anyone who's not winning is losing and therefore, if you're not first, you're last. Um, in, the, in, the, in, the words of, in the true words of, of Ricky Bobby, for some reason, that's that's kind of the standard I think we've set. Hopefully, we'll be able to break that mold and say, hey, like pretty clearly, this is not a roster where we're swinging for the fences and going for a championship. Um, and with that being said, the way we're actually measuring our success it's probably just going to be where we end up slotting our players at the end of the year. I think 12 months from now, it would be good. It'd be pleasant if we could get two or three of those guys to be recognized and regarded as like top six in their role. Effectively, like, you know, there's like that kind of like guaranteed playoff um, cutoff point. I think there's always like one or two teams in the league that like build the roster that's clearly not trying to win the LCS, but is clearly just trying to qualify for playoffs. I don't think our roster needs to be competitive with that. I think our individual players need to grow and we need to example those guys are holding up to that standard within 12 months of play. I think if they can walk into the league and say, you know, I've never played a single LCS game, our entire top side, you know, mid jungle top, never played a single LCS game um, in any real in any real form. If they can walk in in 12 months from now, uh, the majority of people who assess their talent, whether that's the pundits, whether that's the fans, whether that's us ourselves internally, if the majority of people are landing on, okay, yeah, those guys are probably playoff capable, playoff ready, they are top six, I think that's a win. I think that's how you start the platform. Now, we might be able to hit a couple home runs like we did with Closer and FBI, which I think we actually had the same standard, uh, but people were holding them in higher regard because like one had been to MSI, the other had been to Worlds. Um, even though it was through minor regions. Uh, I, I think we obviously hit a couple home runs, and they, instead of being regarded as top six, got pretty clearly regarded as top four, top three, maybe even top two in some circumstances. So obviously, if that happens, cool, that's like a bonus on top of the, the system we've built. But ultimately, I think if we can get those guys uh, recognized as top six players in their role, that's that's the start. That's 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 effectively the first brick um, that's going to be building the, the wall that we're climbing on. Great. Well, yeah, best of luck to you guys as you try to try to hit, reach those goals. I think we're all going to be watching to see which of the players, um, you know, show that form, uh, which of them kind of develop into 
uh, that capability. You know, whether or not whether we see any of the players from the academy level coming up and getting a few games trying out, I think, you know, we, we still don't know the actual competitive uh, format for, for LCS in 2021, but there have been some kind of rumors it's going to be a full year season rather than two splits. And maybe that gives a little more opportunity to kind of interchange some of the players, LCS and academy, and give everybody some play time. Whatever it's going to be, you know, I think we're all very excited to see how the Golden Guardians project works out. Um, whether that inspires any other teams in the LCS to, to take a little bit more of a hardcore rebuild approach. I think we've seen some partial uh, moves in that direction from a couple of the teams, but um, you guys seem to be the first ones who are really kind of buying into that concept quite this hard. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch and, and see how it plays out. Uh, anything you guys would like to leave the listeners with, social media shoutouts, anything else, uh, you know, Black Friday sales, uh, what, what should we be uh, making sure everybody's paying attention to? I'll let John go first. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, obviously, same old, same old. Pay attention to all the players, follow us on socials, all, the, all all that kind of basic stuff. But more importantly, you know, watch Academy, watch Amateur, understand where these players are coming from and all the work that they're putting in to get to that LCS stage so that, you know, you could be a more informed fan, but also, like, you can kind of see that story. I think it's a much more compelling experience when you kind of watch all the different leagues at the same time or at least are, you know, somewhat aware to be able to see kind of the transition as players move up through this system, especially now that it's more robust. It, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of, you know, a cool thing to talk about with your friends. And it's just ultimately more League of Legends that you can you can watch. And hopefully it makes the uh, the LCS kind of better for it in the long term. Cool, Dana. So I'm just going to shout out a, just a really small list of things. First, obviously, check out my Twitter, Danan. I almost never tweet, but like I feel obligated to pretend I have social media presence. Um, I'm going to shout out. This offseason has been crazy. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it's like a significant shift for not just us, but the entire league. Um, and that's not super simple or straightforward as much as it might look like in the reporting. Uh, and that's been a lot of stress for for everybody involved. So obviously, thanks to John and our staff, Nick, Sam, Aaron, uh, across the board, the players that we retained, um, the players that we didn't retain, thanks for your patience through this offseason. I know it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um and especially thanks to my wife for helping me survive this offseason. It's been crazy, especially COVID-ridden. Um, and the last thing I, I want to note, not necessarily a shout-out, the probably one of the coolest parts of my career, and I wish it had been in person. Um, unfortunately, it couldn't be due to COVID and due to the offseason. But um, the day we actually formalized to a blaze olive that he was going to be starting lcs probably like this is one of the coolest things that, that can happen like the the timing and everything is so rare um it was actually his birthday so we actually dragged him into a room um in discord and had like everybody there um and like obviously the implication seems to be like you know we're just saying happy birthday we're just trying to trying to trying to have some camaraderie and have fun and instead, we were actually breaking the news to him that he was going to be guaranteedly starting. This was happening. This was his his opportunity, his 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 on ramp, um, which is super cool. You could tell you, you could tell how excited he was. He was popping off all over the place. It's again, it's really hard to characterize that um, when he's thousands of miles away. I think he's back home in Canada right now, and a lot of us are like in LA. Um, but that's probably one of the one of my career highlights for sure. <laughs> very cool, very cool. That's awesome to hear. So best of luck to him. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's been listening. You can support the True Sight podcast at patreon.com slash oracleselixir. You can subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, uh, as well as anchor.fm slash truesight. Uh, and make sure you check out the Oracles Elixir Discord server to talk about League of Legends esports, data science, and a lot more topics. Uh, links for all of those will be in the show notes. This has been the True Sight podcast with Danan and John, the general manager and assistant general manager of the Golden Guardians, and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thank you for listening.